Good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. In grace and peace to you all, in the name of Christ our Lord, it is Christ who calls us here, sets a place for us in this time of worship, greets us with good news that we are now and always a resurrection people. It is a joy to share with you in this time of worship, especially those of you who may be visiting. You bless us, a guest. We thank you for sharing in worship at First Church this morning. We pray this is a blessed time for us all. And I would just remind you again of the registration pads that we find in our pews because it helps us to know of you sharing in worship at First Church this morning. We're especially grateful for the music ministries of the church as they are before us in worship this morning with our children's ministries, with our chancel choir. Uh, again, we are just blessed more than we know uh, as the people of First United Methodist Church. Blessed in this time of stewardship as we remember, again, I will just call to your attention that we are making our way through this campaign, remembering the words of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So we share in that message this morning as we look forward to a time of commitment next Sunday. It will be Communion Sunday, so you'll be asked as we come forward during that time of worship, to, as you come forward to receive the body and blood of Christ, to bring your commitment for the coming year as well. Uh, you'll notice there's a giving chart on the back of the commitment card. I'm hoping that practical guidance may be of some help as you consider what God is calling you to give in the coming year. As we worship, we're also mindful of the new ministry beginning tomorrow morning, Donuts on the Corner. We'll gather here at the corner of this corner. Uh, Church Street and Leicester Street, just with a, an expression of grace and hospitality, trusting that this is a sign of God's love for those who may receive uh, these donuts and just a, a reminder that we are set here by God as an uptown church to be a place of welcome and worship and service. Remember the small group opportunities as they are before us in the coming week, the ministry of Lunch Bunch as well. And remember as well that in the month of October, uh, we are asked to support the Pregnancy Care Center. Uh, so you will see these bottles throughout the church. You'll also see some literature speaking of the work of the uh, Pregnancy Care Center. Uh, Dr. Marshall spoke to us about this ministry that we have long supported at the 845 service. So I share with you about this ministry that is before us throughout the month of October and encourage you to pick up a bottle as well as the accompanying literature as well. I invite us now to prepare to worship God together.
great is thy faithfulness. Just as we look ahead, our opening hymn uh, has the correct number. It is 140, but the hymn will be Great is Thy Faithfulness. I'm not sure what we have on PowerPoint, uh, but we will sing number 140, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I invite us to stand our call to worship. The time for harvest is close at hand. What have you done with the gifts God has given you? Praise God for the gifts and for opportunities for service that they represent. We praise God for all the ways in which our lives have been blessed. Generous God, accept our gifts and our lives this day. Loving God, accept our praise and gratitude.
be seated. I invite us to go to God as we pray. We find our opening prayer in our bulletin, and it is also before us. Let us pray. Gracious God, giver of all we have and hold as stewards, grant us a deep and abiding awareness that all things come from you, our health, our incomes, our jobs, our talents, and our generous impulse. Send your Holy Spirit to help us as we swim against the rising tides of materialism, envy, individualism, and greed in our culture. When we are tempted to think of money as a private matter, remind us that you have asked for part of what we are given to be returned to you as a symbol of our awareness that you give all we have. And further, help us to help each other in this grace of giving, for you are the lover of our souls and call us to nothing less than transformation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to share the New Testament lesson from 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, and this lesson will anticipate our gospel reading as it speaks to the way in which we live our lives between the first and the second comings of Jesus, the way we are to live so that we may account for our life in a faithful way as Christ returns. First we pray. Lord, pour your spirit upon us, open our ears, and remove all that would keep us from hearing your word. By your word we are created, and in the image of Christ we are recreated, and we are sustained and fed so that we may serve and follow you as you speak your word. For this we give thanks in Christ our Lord. Amen. But as to the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as travail comes upon a woman with child and there will be no escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and to be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we wake or sleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of our Lord. And we welcome, we thank you, Beth, for your leadership with our choirs.
thank you so much. You bless us more than you know. And Beth, thank you. Elizabeth and Sherry, our uh, choir moms, thank you. you do. And John, thank you. From the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 14 through 30, we hear the word of God. For it will be as when a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not winnowed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. There men will weep and to gnash their teeth. This is the word of our Lord. And we stand as we sing.
be seated. Well, as we recall the gospel lesson we shared from the Gospel of Matthew, who knew Jesus could be so angry? Oh, it's true, we can pull from our memory banks Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers, and we may recall how harshly Jesus speaks to religious leaders of his day, calling them whitewashed tombs and hypocrites. We may remember Jesus' defiant words spoken to his disciple Peter at Caesarea Philippi, get behind me, Satan. So yes, it's true, we know the gospel set before us those occasions in which Jesus is angry. We may wish that wasn't so. We may not be comfortable with those experiences revealing the Son of God carrying those most human of emotions. Also, it may be we're not comfortable with those portrayals of Jesus showing Jesus as one who is angry. We're more comfortable with Jesus as the, as the good shepherd cradling a stray sheep close to his chest, and, and we'd rather have that image of Jesus welcoming children or Jesus speaking from the cross words of forgiveness for those who kill him. A Jesus such as this is the Jesus whose, whose company we gladly welcome, a Jesus who turns over tables and speaks angrily to religious leaders and his own disciples. We may be unsure how close we want to get to this Jesus or the Jesus before us this morning, harsh and angry. It's a story we may have heard before, a story in which Jesus tells of a man who goes on a journey. And as the man prepares to go, he calls to him three servants. To these servants he entrusts property. To the first, he gives five talents. To the second, gives two talents. To the third, he gives one talent. And then we are told the master went away. The servant receiving the five talents traded with them, made five talents more. The servant receiving the two talents used them to make two talents more. And the servant receiving the one talent went and dug in the ground, hid his master's money. After a long time, we are told, the master returned and settled accounts with his servants. To the one who had made five talents more, the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. To the servant who had made two talents more, he spoke the same words. But when the servant, having received the one talent, came to his master, he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. So I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. It's at this point in this scripture, we're not very comfortable. 
because the master says to his servant, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I have not widowed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. There people weep and gnash their teeth. Who knew Jesus could be this angry? Not only this, we may wonder, is this anger really justified? I mean, look again at the Scripture. It's not as if this third servant mistreated anyone. It does not appear this servant has broken any of the commandments. He has not taken someone else's property. He has not defrauded anyone. We could even say this servant behaved in an admirable fashion. That is to say, he did not take any risk with the property entrusted to him. He was not careless with his master's property. He returned it just as he had received it. So is the anger, the judgment of this master justified? Especially when we consider that we encourage handling our finances with a considerable degree of caution. Isn't that right? We are blessed to be entrusted with certain endowment funds here at First Church. Wise stewardship of these funds provides for educational scholarships, support of select ministries, the support of the church budget. Yet I would believe it to be fair to say these funds are handled with care and caution. Such an approach, the evidence suggests, has served us well for many years. No one would argue for a change in the manner by which these funds are handled. Not only this, I suspect you hear, as I hear, those advertisements for certain investment firms Advertisements advising us to invest with caution and to diversify. Yet we see in clear and unsettling ways this cautious and risk-free servant receives no affirmation, no blessing, but instead these words. Cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness there men will weep and gnash their teeth. Words from the mouth of Jesus. Words that may carry greater urgency and emphasis when we look at their placement within the Gospel of Matthew. Looking at this scripture and its setting within the Gospel, we see that as we read this scripture, we have almost reached the conclusion of this gospel. It's true we have yet to journey through Jesus' passion and death and resurrection, but look again at the scripture and see that this is part of Jesus' last major discourse in Matthew. It is a discourse united by a particular theme, a particular concern, and that theme is this. Jesus will return again to establish the kingdom of God. So, at his return, 
How are you going to speak to Jesus about the way in which you have cared for all Jesus has entrusted to you? Based on this scripture, it does not appear that Jesus at that time wants us to say to him, I handled everything you gave me with caution. I took no risk. Now apparently this was the greatest of concerns for this third servant, this concern of tending to his own security risk-free. Now again, there are those times when being cautious is the right thing to do. Look before you cross the street. But apparently these rules of caution are not to be guiding principles for our faith. Not when we consider we are in service to a master who gave everything. We are in service to a master who risked everything. We serve a master whose own security was not his concern. We serve a master who did not play it safe. So the stewardship of this third servant, unlike the stewardship of the other two, was not stewardship that honored his master. This was not stewardship showing love for his master. For this third servant, his own security, not service of his master, was his concern. According to Jesus, playing it cautious, playing it safe, does not define the life of a disciple of Christ. Now, granted, that's a mindset to which we do not adapt easily. So the truth is, some conversion to that mindset may be needed. Now, it is true that you and I, within the church, may occasionally speak of conversion and gladly share those experiences by which we turn from a life without Christ to a life with Christ. But as those who live our faith within the United Methodist Church, feel free to try that, John. As those of us within the United Methodist Church, we do well to remember we, we are not to see our conversion as something that's behind us, but as something we daily experience. It was another father in the faith, the 16th century reformer Martin Luther, who rightly said to us, it's not one, but three conversions that are necessary in the Christian life. According to Martin Luther, there is the conversion of the heart. Luther also told us there is the conversion of the mind. And then thirdly, there is the conversion of the purse, the pocketbook, the wallet, the finances. What Luther calls the conversion of the purse may be the most difficult conversion of all. At least this appears to be true for this third servant who receives from his master the harshest of judgments. Now that's not to say that you and I are stingily or stingy or miserly or greedy, not at all. I have no doubt that supporting local nonprofits and other worthy agencies is of great importance to us and is much to be admired. 
But within the church, we're not talking about charity. We're talking about stewardship. Perhaps the third servant receiving the one talent from his master was a very charitable person, but he wasn't a good steward, and there is a difference. It's a difference which the Reverend James Harnish reminds us well. Because it's Reverend Harnish who writes to us that pastoral experience has taught me the difference between charitable giving and Christian stewardship. Charity is a compassionate, generous, and appropriate response to a specific need. For followers of Christ, it is a practical expression of Jesus' love. It's a beautiful thing to see. Stewardship is a different deal. It represents a radical reorientation of our whole life, including our finances. Here are some comparisons that Harnish gives us to consider between charity and stewardship. Charity can happen in a moment. Stewardship takes a lifetime. Charity may cause us to give out of our abundance. Stewardship changes the financial priorities by which we live. Effective charity is measured by the difference it makes for the ones who receive it. Stewardship is measured by the difference it makes in the life of the giver. Charity is a compassionate response to an immediate need. Stewardship is a spiritual discipline that enables us to grow toward the farther end of a life that is fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Continues the Reverend Harnish, the Apostle Paul's call to extravagant generosity and Wesley's call to give all we can are about much more than just writing an occasional check to our church or our favorite charity. They define a reordering of financial priorities around our commitment to Christ. So you and I are going through the process of conversion, the conversion of matters of the purse. But I pray we don't see this as a sad process of conversion. I mean, because we remember we are named and we are called by God, the one who looks to each of us and places within our care those gifts, those talents by which to bring glory to God and to bless his children. What work is of greater and more lasting significance than this? In fact, there's a New York Times writer and his wife who studied current patterns of giving and came to the same conclusion as John Wesley. Now, they were writing from a secular perspective in their book, A Path Appears. But they confirm what the Bible has said all along, namely that giving is good for us and can be a source of joy. They use even neuroscience to demonstrate that we experience a happiness boost from our efforts to help others. Their conclusion is that doing good is a good deal. It is a good deal indeed. It's a good deal to earn all you can and save all you can and give all you can. It's a good deal to invest in the life-changing, life-saving work of God. It is a good deal to love our Master, to serve our Master, to act out of faith, not fear, 
even to take risk for our master, and in such a way we may find our faith aligned with what John Wesley called the farther end. This farther end to which Wesley calls us is nothing less than using our money as the practical means by which we participate in God's kingdom on earth, even as it is already fulfilled in heaven. It's a way of embracing the love of God that walked among us in Jesus Christ and helping to ensure that love remains a down-to-earth human reality in this world. It's a way by which we fulfill the greatest commandments as we love God and love our neighbor. Amen. I'll invite us to respond to the word as we share responsively in a prayer of confession, again speaking to this season of stewardship, I invite us to stand. Let us confess. We have failed to love you with all our heart and to be good stewards of your creation. Lord, have mercy. We have failed to take up the cross of discipleship and to be good stewards of your gospel. Christ, have mercy. We have failed to be faithful members of your church and to be good stewards of your spiritual gifts. Lord, have mercy. Having confessed our sin, we receive the good news that God forgives us. Hear these good news. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God, and I invite us to welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ, and we will welcome John Maxwell uh, at that point to offer a stewardship witness. Let us welcome one another.
as we find our, our places and as we prepare to worship God with his tithes and our offerings and as I try to get your attention <laughs> and as I don't succeed. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we, we try to remember throughout the year uh, that, that stewardship is not just limited to, to one time of the year, to one season. And, and one of the ways we wish to do that is by, as, as you recall, we've had various persons in this time of worship witness to the difference uh, your giving, our giving, makes in, in their lives. We've shared prison ministry and educational ministries and local schools and, and the pregnancy care center and others, uh, as, as well as members of the church. So John... Maxwell is with us, and uh, I'm grateful for John's willingness to share and witness to what it means to be a part of this church uh, in, in a life that is made possible through the gifts that we give. John, thank you. Thank you, Keith. Many of you know when we moved to Martinsville about eight years ago, we were looking for a new church. Ellen was determined to find a church that had the best children's programs and she did it very well. As we saw earlier today, the children's programs are what has brought us all here. The children's programs at First Church are not only for the children, which is what we found out as we joined the church eight years ago, but it's also for the parents and the family members and the friends of us as well. And so the children's programs bring us all together, just as they have done today. From the children's choir, to the puppets, to now handbells, from what I hear is a very exciting time on Monday afternoons, to Sunday school before worship, to children's church, to jams on Sunday afternoon, to helping with the food bank, to helping with the clothes closet, to floating down the river and going to movies, there's always something going on that brings families together at First Church. Vacation Bible School has always been a success here, but this past summer it was absolutely amazing. Not only for the theme and the decorations and the activities for the children, but also with the talk around town that it generated. No matter where I went around town, that week, people were talking about First Church. It made me proud to say that I was a member of First Church. And it also led to an easy conversation to encourage others to come and see what First Church is all about. I could not offer all these experiences to Catherine and Elizabeth by myself. I'm thankful for First Church and the resources that are put into the children's programs. The children's programs for not only those that attend regularly, but also the children's programs that help children in our community who have never even been to First Church. The children's programs are why we came to First Church. The friends and fellowship that comes with the children's programs is one reason why we stay at First Church. I hope that you'll contribute, as I do, to the programs 
that First Church offers to help us stay a leader in the community for all the programs that we offer. I'm proud to say that First Church is my church. First Church is all of our church. First Church is a church of this community, which your financial commitment helps every day. And again, we're very proud of our children. We're proud of this congregation. We're proud of what this church does in our community. We're proud of this church leadership. And we're thankful as First Church has a bright future to come. So thank you very much for asking me, Keith. John, thank you for powerful witness and for all you offer to the church in many ways. And I invite our ushers to come forward as we worship God with our tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Lord, you've entrusted into our care many talents. We pray that we would use them faithfully and that the return of a portion of these talents to you would show our love for you, our love for our neighbors, and that in your care they would accomplish much for the gospel of Christ. Amen.
be seated. That invite us into a time of prayer that we know is the prayers of the people. In this time of prayer, it is a responsive pattern of prayer. I will name various petitions and conclude each of the petitions with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and invite from you the response, hear our prayer, and then we pray as Christ has taught us. Let us go to God as we pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for all your gifts to us, for daily food, for health, for each breath, for freedom to choose, and for the gifts of your word and your power and your love. Our hearts are overflowing, O God, when we consider all that you are and how you have entrusted so much to us. May we be worthy of that trust. May we be a people who are unafraid to live as fully and as richly as you want us to live. Lord, in your mercy. Help us, O God, as followers of Jesus, to multiply all you have given us, to risk spreading your word and perhaps see it misunderstood, to gamble by loving those whom others think worthy only of hate, to take chances by doing good to those who have not done good to us. Help us be faith-filled and to desire to increase your glory and your goodness in this world. Make us ones who share in both word and deed that which you have given to us. Lord, in your mercy. We pray, O God, for the church here today, that it may encourage all its members to discover, develop, and use all their gifts, those of nature and those of grace. Lord, in your mercy. We pray, Lord, for those who are poor in body or in spirit, for those who are oppressed and heavy laden, for those who are sick or in despair. Minister, O God, by your Spirit and by us to all those for whom we have prayed, and help us walk faithfully in the path of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. We stand as we sing.
John, I want to thank you for being with us again, and I hope to see you again soon. Thank you. And we now go in peace as a light into the world, shining our light as Christ has commanded us to do, so that we may be faithful and blessing of the Master who has blessed us and sends us. So go now in peace in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.